Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Let me tell you about Ricochet. They are the ones who host all our wonderful podcasts, and I'm actually editor-in-chief over there. Not only do we have a lot of great podcasts to choose from, we have a lot of great writing as well. And you have a chance to join Ricochet now for just $2.50 a month. You can support Ricochet, great podcasts like this, and also be able to share your comments and opinions on anything that I write or any podcast as well. It's called the X-John tier, named after my Twitter handle, and you can join this tier, get a sampling of Ricochet for an extremely low price. So if you're one of the multitudes of podcast listeners who want to support Ricochet, but thought our normal $5 a month was a little too steep, step up, go to ricochet.com slash join today, and thanks so much. John, we did it. We made it basically through the first year of Trumpism. Like we, it's it's here. Yep. It's we did it. We did it. Like this is our last. We we I think we have what two, three, three more shows left in the year. Two more shows left in the year. But we, we don't. We're not doing uh like regular shows. We're doing what we did last year, where we're gonna we're gonna have guests on to talk about just some you know like music, movies, just wrap up the year and be done with it. But we did it. We made it through the first year of Trump. Um, I think like what was re- what I think was really great if I, if I can like toot our own horn here, I think we had more women guests on than any like podcast this year. We did as far as like two dudes, like two dudes kind of caught up in the Me Too movement, like you know afraid to leave our house l- lest we get accused of raping something. Um, <laughs> but we like if we if we go back, I was trying to th- I was trying to think about it like going back at the beginning of the year we had Aaron Glory Ryan from Daily Beast. We had Liz Smith, um, formerly of Obama, and stuff like that. We've had Kristen Soltis Anderson. Um, our guests today are, are, are two um, two podcasters who are, who are who are girls, women. I don't want to like you know be weird about that. Be woke. Um, be woke. Yeah, we have Bridget Fantasy from Playboy. Um, I, I'm probably missing some in there that I'm I'm yeah, gonna. No, we rep, had more. Like, we yeah. had very few guys. We had Ben Smith from BuzzFeed. We have we had James Polos from Vast Asteroid. We had Dave Smith, the comedian. Yeah, oh, yeah we had more comedians. females than males. Yeah, but I think we we definitely have our woke cred. We have our woke Me Too cred safely intact in this um, wonderful moment we're living through. I think there's what's what. 124 more guys named today even just recording so um since we started since we started this intro 124 (laughs) more guys so i'm like really happy with where we are with where we sat i think it was an okay year for us um i think we i think we got through it okay and we and we made it through a year of trump and that's kind of where i'm at i was kind of like saying if we can just get through one year and then if we can get through two years Eventually, that's kind of how I looked at it with Obama when Obama was reelected and I was just down in the dumps. I was like, all right, if we can just get to 2014, 
I think we'll be okay. And that's like, I try to tell some of my friends on the left that I get texts from them and stuff like, are we, are we all going to die? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, just take it, take it in months and then take it in years. Pretend you're pregnant for like nine months and then it's like, yeah. then it's gone. And then it's, you know, it's on. So that's kind of my advice to, to anyone on the left who listens to this or even really anti-fervent anti-Trump, which you and I kind of are. I'm just kind of like one year's down, just, get through it, get through. I was kind of trying to do that with my dog this last six weeks. It was like, all right, three weeks are down. We're good. Four weeks are down. And then six weeks and oh, we're, we're done. It's finally every op-ed that I've written for newspaper for ricochet. If you could sum it up in two words, it would be calm down. It's like everybody <laughs> is just losing their mind, right, left, center, people into politics, people out of calm down. It's just politics. We will survive. I don't know even know who we're talking to anymore. Everybody's dead. Yeah. yeah. Tax reform killed people. Net neutrality has now killed everybody. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know. I, I don't even, it's like you and I are just talking to ourselves now. And, and uh, I guess well, our guests that are going to be on. Yeah. We got to plant the flag for humanity. Hello, beloved listeners, and welcome to the Conservatarians. I'm John Gabriel, editor-in-chief of Ricochet.com, and he is Stephen Miller of FoxNews.com. Your luggage shouldn't cost more than your plane ticket. Away Travel's luggage is designed with the highest quality materials and still under $300. For $20 off a suitcase, visit AwayTravel.com slash conserve and use promo code CONSERVE during checkout. Yes, uh, Roy Moore was kicked out of Alabama and the horse he rode in on. That's, that was obvious. Yeah, very I, I, obvious. Like, I knew as soon as he lost, everyone was going to be doing the horse he rode in on. It's so perfect. Bannon obviously looks bad. What's weird about Bannon is he didn't help him win the primary. He just said, oh, Roy Moore's up. I'm going to jump behind him to look like I was this Machiavellian genius behind him, behind <laughs> his rise. So after... All the work had been done. He jumps behind him, and then he's there and present and observing the total collapse. Alabama, which I think a Democrat didn't even run against Jeff Sessions last time. That's how red a state this is. He lost it. Roy Moore lost it big. People in Alabama, you had a lot of conservatives just staying home saying, yeah, that's too much. You had a lot of people, larger than the the, uh, difference in votes between Doug Jones and Roy Moore, a larger number did write-ins than that gap. It's just a mess all the way around. McConnell got his hands dirty because he tried to knock off Mo Brooks, who was running. Uh, so it just, again, great job by the Republicans. Uh, you did awesome. You lost a Senate seat. Good for you guys. In Alabama. They in lost Alabama. A Senate seat. They lost a Senate seat in maybe the the second or third reddest state in in the country it's gone yeah <laughs> and and it was god's will that's the other thing that they have going for them so yeah as of now roy moore hasn't even conceded this he he just released like a video where he basically called himself the new president of the second confederacy or some crazy thing um, he basically said he, he's he, God's gonna God's gonna do a recount and whatever the whatever that happens will be God's will whatever the, I mean that's this guy's just a piece of work. You need good candidates and you need people <laughs> who can kind of sort of represent the same people. And I thought that's not the best thing where I was just kind of like that day he had uh, his comms guy went on Jake Tapper's show and for for anyone who hasn't seen this clip you need to go see the clip. Where uh, earlier on, a, on one of these shows, uh, he said he believes homosexuality should be illegal, or he asked, or Tapper asked him something like, "Do you do you think homosexuality as itself, not marriage, not 
just just being being gay in itself is that should that be illegal and his comms guy says yeah i think he probably thinks it should right <laughs> this is a comms guy and then so he says something like why why does roy moore think you know like muslims shouldn't be able to serve in government this was an actual statement for roy moore i mean this put aside all the you know hanging around the mall stuff like and and he said uh he said, well, it's because Muslims, they worship the Koran, and it's so hard for me to do this without doing the guy's accent because I don't want to condescend. <laughs> the foghorn leghorn. But, but it really is like that cartoony kind of, well, he believes that Muslims do the Koran and have to be in the – can't swear on a Bible. Like it's that bad. And again, I'm not going to do it because, again, I'm not trying to condescend to people in the South. That's not – but this guy is just a cartoon of what good people in the South are. And so he said he said that he said because Muslims swear on the Quran and you have to swear in on a Christian Bible when you swear on the oath of office. And therefore, it's a conflict and Muslims can't do it. And Dapper just goes, yeah, but that's not a law. He says, you know that that's not a law, right? Do you, sir? And the guy tries to answer. He's like, well, but it's a Bi- I swore on the Bible. When I, and he goes, that's because you're a Christian. Yeah. And then he even says something like, well, President Trump did. He goes, that's because President Trump is a, quote, Christian. And he goes, so you know that that's not a law. And the guy just sits there for about 13 seconds with just his mouth agape. It's like you can see the little spinning wheels in his eyes that you get on a yeah, computer when it's uploading. Yeah, like when something. you call on a kid in math class who just doesn't know algebra. Like it's it's it looked like a kid being called to answer an algebra equation that he has no clue how to answer. And that happened the day of the election. And I just thought, oh, my God, if we send this guy to the Senate – I just I don't even know what we're gonna do. I, not even as a not even as a party, not as a country. I wasn't a big fan of like Jeff Flake sending the check to him or anything like no, that. No, no. And I have like I've defended Jeff Flake a lot, but that was just silly grandstanding, counterproductive. Yeah, you could be a good conscience conservative or uh, somebody on the right and just walk away from them. <laughs> That's the good news. Like you and I, we don't live in Alabama. We don't. Ha- we're not torn with this. It's just like, dude, don't vote for him. <laughs> go, 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 take your family out for a dinner or something. Don't you don't have to go vote. But the thing about Moore is, and, and I'm in this camp that says the GOP is bad as a shape as it's in. It could, it could still. I think it's they're still going to have to answer for people like Moore, because um, my fear is there's more people like him out there right. that you know, we're just waiting for you know Bannon to take his truffle pigs out into the into the field and dig them up kind of thing. Because um, when you look at these kinds of candidates that Bannon likes, you saw Paul, Paul Nealon in Wisconsin is a nutcase. You have Roy Moore as a nutcase, and there's a few more that are coming. A Kelly Ward in Arizona, who you're familiar with, seems oh, yeah. to be, seems to be on the fence. And that's what I mean. If this is who they're going to dig up, then the GOP has so much more pain in. But the thing about you know anybody screaming about more, like I'm not. You know, if you either send Roy Moore, I don't like him, so we either send Roy Moore there and, and get a vote on stuff. Or we send, you know, a guy who, you know, wants a, abortion at the at the crowning of a baby, in Doug Jones and other things. And the thing that I just I can't I, I just I I couldn't get an answer from anyone, is I said, okay, you're gonna send Doug you're gonna send Doug Jones to the Senate for one term. He's gonna be there. Well, he's gonna finish out this session's term, which he'll probably run again. But he so you're gonna send him there for one term. You're gonna send him in in a majority locked congress he's not he's voting with his party so you're going to have a you're going to have a deadlocked congress for one term and it's not like when you vote on this guy he becomes you know emperor of abortion and suddenly the the sitting senator from Alabama is going to make sweeping changes to our birth you know our <laughs> our abortion laws in this country 
so yeah, I when you ask me, yeah, I'm not I'm not someone I'm not someone who's for unfettered abortion. I'm not someone who's for, you know, late term or anything like that. But when you look at it, I'm going, this is a Senate seat. This is a one term Senate seat. Um, if you can put up a good candidate in two to three years, um, and it's Alabama, they're out there, you know, there, there, there are good conservatives in that area of the country. So if you can put a, a good one up, put them up, Doug Jones will be out of there in, in two to three to four years and just live with it. And, and think about what you've done. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know though, because I don't think that this is, I don't think Roy Moore is, as big as an anomaly as some people are saying, like it's just one bad candidate from Alabama, just he's crazy. Because like I said, you have Bannon out there who Bannon's not done. He's out there scouring the country for candidates like Roy Moore and like Paul Nealon and like Kelly Ward. And those are candidates right now that are registering with the GOP base. The problem is they're not registering with literally anybody else in this country. Yeah, it's doing nothing to expand the coalition. And if Bannon can't win one of his uh, one of his candidates in the reddest state, you know, one of the reddest states in the nation, why are you bothering? You know, you go to a place like Arizona, which continues to trend more purple. You know, it's definitely a red state. It went pretty big for Trump uh, this last time around. We do have a lot of retirees here. So that's why you had a base of support for someone like Joe Arpaio as well. But it's not a done deal. You know, you, you see so many um, business leaders here locally, since I live in Arizona, so many business leaders who, you know, work with the Chamber of Commerce and they're probably Republicans, but they look at this stuff as an embarrassment. Uh, like you said, the good people of Alabama look at Roy Moore and go, oh, my gosh, I spent my life trying to break these stupid stereotypes. And he looks like uh, one of the corrupt politicians out of Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> look like John Goodman. Yes, you is, like, is there is you not my constituents? Yeah. <laughs> my constituency. Yeah, a little midget running behind him with a broom, and, and it's yeah, just like it's, you're just like. And like. Arizonans think that same way. You have people working for you know we have a lot of tech out here. Intel is huge, and all of the uh, driverless cars are testing in Arizona because we don't have the regulatory environment uh, that kicked them out of uh, California, basically. And uh, you have all these business leaders who are like, yeah, we don't want to look like raising Arizona. You know, we don't want these kooks representing us. So if Bannon can't take Alabama, you know, Arizona isn't nearly as red as Alabama. So um, it's going to be a I think disaster. I made that joke. I think I made that joke about uh, when I saw I saw Roy Moore give a speech and I said, oh, great. Senator Nathan Huffines is going to be great <laughs> in the state of Alabama, which is a which is a joke on Nathan, Arizona and raising Arizona. Right. It's like. I'm tired of your excuses, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> if a frog hag wins, he wouldn't bump his ass a hop. But that's who like Roy Moore is. Like he's he is. I think I even tweeted like every photograph of Roy Moore should be in black and white just to give you good historical context. A daguerreotype because you couldn't get by Matthew it. Brady. Oh, and they did the thing leading up to the leading up to the election where they some pack thought it was a good idea to have a twelve year old girl interview him. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, that whole campaign was political malpractice. Every single thing a guy could be or could stand for, it's not just who he is, like, characterly. I'm not talking about, like, you know, how he is just, you know, the kind of guy who is like Yosemite Sam shooting his pistols off on the ground kind of thing. It's, again, it's these, it's these stances where – um you know there are there are those on the right who go yeah i have no problem with muslims serving in congress i don't see the big deal and then you get every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in at us border patrol protecting our borders is more than a job it's a calling agents answer the call 
working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Like if I tweet that, I'll have like a good, you know, a pretty good solid majority of people who will retweet it or comment. But I'm going to get that, you know, 30 percent faction who are like deport them all. Right. (laughs) Get rid of them. Like, why would you want, you know, and that was my problem. And and our guests today are going to kind of be part of part of this. This thing with Roy Moore is this is a guy who was going to and probably still is just going to poison Republicans for the for the next generation. This is a guy who you put him on TV and I'm sitting here thinking I can't think of like a single millennial or somebody under the age of 30 who sees Roy Moore like waving his little teeny pistol around in the air. Under the age of 50 or 60, it's just like, what am I looking at here? I don't don't see somebody relating to that under the age of 30, and I'm kind of like, if this is what the GOP is going to become, then just bury it. Like, they should just bury it now with Roy Moore. Right, definitely. We'd like to welcome our guests for today. First time on The Conservatarians, Avery Hogarth is a liberal liaison for USC's Young Americans for Liberty. Tiana Lowe is a conservative journalist and commentator. Together, they host the Political Pregame Podcast. Also, both are seniors at the University of Southern California, to which I say is a proud Arizona State alum, Go Sun Devils. Uh, welcome aboard to The Conservatarians. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. Now, what is it like to be a millennial? You're in college. All we we're going to poke and prod the millennials here. We just yeah. want to know what it's like with the youths. The youths, <laughs> yeah. Um, what is it like being on campus? Because, of course, what hits the news is, oh, my gosh, there's all these free speech issues and speakers are being banned and there's riots and there are all these things going on. What's it like for a college student today during the age of Trump? Okay, so more than like the total sense of just everyone losing their minds the first thing that kind of hits you is like the laziness the amount of people now i mean now there's so many more people from a proportional perspective who go to college that it just means that there's so many more degrees that are useless like the amount of people we know who are basically getting degrees and studies that don't really exist and will never get them a job and they're taking loans out anyway to achieve them is very scary because you just kind of realize they're going to hit a point where they realize that they wasted four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars of uh, their debt on this. Um, but then there's just the outright hysteria, especially after Trump won. I know at USC, we had people protesting by building human walls. And USC is not in the best area. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. Hold on. They were building walls to protest yes. Trump? Yes. Yes. That seems really- more in support of Trump than against. No, no. But- oh, they, they, they're building <laughs> human walls to fight him. And it was... And it wow. got to the point where USC is a private campus. We're not, we're a private campus, private university. And like local high school kids from like the area, USC is not in a very great area. It's in South Central Los Angeles. It's like, it's about probably two miles away from any significant gang activity, but like the area around it is very not wealthy. And there were a lot of high school students coming, like protesting on campus, and the school did nothing. So it's like, you just couldn't get into certain buildings for a couple of days. Well, like, I know for myself, too, in terms of rhetoric, I maybe experienced this more than Tiana because I'm a political science major. So in our discussions in class, it, it totally re- revolves around the current administration and the current political climate. And the views on campus have become, and I, I'm sure this is probably the same for most college campuses across America, but the views expressed in these discussions have become so 
left-wing radical, I think, just in, so in opposition to Trump, but it's almost alienated Republicans and conservatarian, conservatarianism as a whole on campus because of this fire that's being fueled. No, so I mean, when you're, so when you're, but it's your political science major. And so if you're in class and you're clearly outnumbered and you're probably also face it quieter than some of the people around you who seem to be a little bit more passionate and louder. Does that intimidate you? Do you just kind of, there are times when you just kind of sit there and just be like, I I completely, this is complete BS, but you're not going to speak up just because of the conflict or are you pretty outgoing with it? And you're just like, all right, let's go throw the books down and have a go at it. I would say that I'm personally pretty outgoing. I think kind of, um, the nature of mine and Tiana's relationship and why we decided to come together and, and form a podcast of our own was the fact of, so I would describe myself still as democratic leaning, but I'm able to see it from both sides. And Tiana obviously describes herself as being conservative. So I oftentimes find that although my views might line up more to the left, I'm speaking up almost on the, on the right side of things and the conservative side of things in class, just because of how far left we've gotten. And I think there is this importance for both sides to be able to communicate and understand each other and, and, and listen to each other despite having these differences. And I think that's what Tiana and I do really well together. And that's something that I try to advocate on campus because no one's going to get anywhere in politics by everyone just expressing the same leftist views. You have to be able to understand the other side as well. No, and I think that most people on the campus, I think, I think that the whole silent majority culture is such a thing. But it's just that that these like radical left wing students have taken over. It's this sort of like just like verbal terrorism where if you deviate at all outside of the norm, like you will be publicly harassed. You'll be harassed on social media. You will be it's every category of insanity and just like the professors totally accommodate it. Totally. And, And I mean, don't get me wrong. I spent my freshman year at the University of Vermont during Bernie land times uh, in Burlington, Vermont. So a view that wasn't uh, socialist, let alone even on the right side of the spectrum, was one that was not really accommodated as well. John, did you did you John did you catch the fact that they said that there's too many people? <laughs> we 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 found we found like more conservatives who think like us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to thin, we just need to thin the herd. Not with like I'm I'm not saying with eugenics or anything. I'm not saying like you know abortion or eugenics or anything. I'm just saying if the like the plague happens, just let it burn through. So it's it's good that we have like young people thinking like us. Um, yeah, I mean, one, I mean, one of my questions, one of the reasons that I want to have you guys on here is because I know you guys, you guys said you you just started this podcast, and it's really interesting because most of the people doing podcasts who are either right leaning or kind of like older. Um, you know, they're like us or they're, they're the National Review guys, which I know Tiana writes for National Review. Um, and so, or it's, you know, it's kind of this older kind of almost male dominated thing, even on the right or on the left. I don't think politics is more, I think guys just like to talk, to, to do this, to hear themselves talk. Um, yeah. but going through like the moment you're going through, and I didn't even know if you're aware of it, but you really are. You're kind of going through this watershed moment of like this weirdness of Trump. Um, and now that's kind of, avalanched into the me too movement um what do you guys when you when you guys see when you guys are going through this and you see what's going on with trump um and especially what you just saw kind of what happened in alabama is another good example do you look at this and do you kind of wince at what the next 10 to 15 years of your life you think holds here like me and john are we're older we're going to be out of this in a couple years we're going to we're going to kick off um 
So do you look at this and you say, okay, this, do you see like this kind of barren wasteland ahead of you as far as this is going? Or do you see kind of, do you see some promise that this is something that's going to pass and you're just like, ah, let's just get through this? I think I see it as opportunity more than ever. And for me, that at least fires me up and gets me super motivated. I think despite all of everything that's going on in politics, there is no better time to be a political science major because there's no shortage of things to talk about. And there's also no shortage of things to to take a stance on and, and develop some strategy on. I think for me, all of these things that have recently come out in the media and kind of everything that's transpired in the last two years or so in politics only makes kind of my political activism, I guess, more strong, you could say. Yeah. And I think it's sort of like the insanity of this moment while it's demoralizing in some ways. I mean, like, I think like thinking that Roy Moore was a second away from being sitting senator, you know, stuff like that is crazy and really unnerving. But I also, I mean, I've sort of oscillated between identifying as libertarian and conservative for my entire life, like always sort of having to defend the Republican Party from these accusations of just being like this theocratic party that wants literally the handmaid's tale, whatever. And no matter, despite the fact that the rhetoric has gotten so overblown about like Trump wants a theocracy, I think that there's never been a better opportunity to hijack, well, not hijack, that sounds so manipulative, but um, redirect what the right is doing into a way that focuses it on a winning, like, more libertarian strategy that appeals to, I think, young people more than anything, where it's about personal responsibility and freedom rather than this is the way the world is supposed to be, like that sort of traditional conservatism. So, I mean, yeah, it's tiring, I think, sometimes, especially when you see just how insane kids on college campuses have gotten. But in a way, it's also moralizing and encouraging. You, and uh, and you guys, you just had a, you just both hosted a debate between uh, Austin Peterson, who was a libertarian candidate in 2016 for the Libertarian Party, he lost to Gary Johnson, I guess, at the the fun Libertarian Circus convention, whatever <laughs> they were doing. Um, and you, you, so you had a, you guys hosted a debate between Peterson and, and a guy named Pat Harris, and. Uh, and Peterson, uh, it, for people who don't know, Peterson's kind of now gone into MAGA land. He's he's trying to jump on the uh, the oh so successful Steve Bannon bandwagon, which is in fine shape after the race in Alabama. Um, but talk a little bit about what that's like when you're when you talk about like you know kind of this this libertarian moment. So you guys are kind of being proactive with this stuff, and so. What's going through your heads when you guys are sitting here debating these two guys? Are they looking at you like, you know, here's here's a couple of kids, here's a couple of millennials. Are they taking you serious? Are you guys, you know, do you, do you think you have to kind of put in the extra effort to be taken seriously or what? Yeah, well, I think, okay, p- getting that debate to even happen was was a nightmare from the get-go just because USC was so hostile to having it anyway because in their mind – the way political events at a university are supposed to be ran is supposed to be one head of one institute who brings over all of his friends, not students like like getting together these candidates to have like a real debate of ideas, writing the questions, hosting it, streaming it, running all the social media, organizing it in every capacity. So they were really hostile to that. So we were really lucky because we were so we're really even lucky that that debate happened at all. And it was luckily because of one connection that we had in the journalism school and them willing to give us like, you know, like the leap of faith. With those two candidates in particular, we're lucky because Avery was working or is working on Pat Harris's campaign and he had expressed interest in doing some speaking engagement at USC. Austin Peterson's campaign had reached out to us. And I think that um, 
not to I, this. I don't know if this is true in the Pat Harris end. I think Austin's campaign really thought that they could just have like a platform just to give like a 30 minute speech or whatever. And that just wasn't going to happen. Like I wasn't going to bring someone onto campus and just have them like have an uninterrupted platform to speak, have like 10 people show up and like call it a day. Like the real interesting thing, the thing that people that I think everyone at this point is hungering for is an actual confrontation of ideas. I I do think that we were kind of able to catch uh, both of them. I hope a little bit off guard. I, d- I don't know if they realized how legit it was going to be. I know that Pat took it very seriously. I don't know how seriously Austin took it until he realized what he was walking into. Yeah, but but to your point about being wait, taken wait, wait, go back to that. Go back to that. What do you mean by like what he? Did, so I mean, he just you, did you kind of did you spring some stuff on him? Did you? Did you yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we we wanted to make this like a debate of ideas. It was focused around like, for instance, is healthcare a right or not? And if it is a right, then how do you plan on funding something that for the Sanders campaign was valued at one point four trillion dollars? You know, we were trying to focus on bigger issues. But of course, like candidates backgrounds does relate to their uh current relationship with the establishment so we did call out austin peterson on like you were on Infowars. did you do that because you felt that that was do you think that it's important to win over people who deny that sandy hook ever happened do you think it's important to win over people who speak about jews with like open contempt is it important to try and win over those votes or should there be a line for what the republican party tries to win over things like that and like pat harris had he was an attorney with whitewater and like we did need to call it if you defended someone who was associated with the whitewater investigation does that mean you're properly anti-establishment, even though the Whitewater investigation ties to Hillary Clinton? So it was just, I mean, like, I don't think that they were, I, I know that Pat was ready for that. I, I Austin called it a gotcha question after we uh, did the debate, but I mean, he, he, I mean, he, answer, he had an answer for it, but I mean, I, I just, I, I, I'm glad that he wound up taking it seriously. <laughs> yeah, he better get used to the gotcha question since he obviously wants office somewhere. Yeah. Um, now, what is it like on campus, um, just to talk about Trump specifically, um, my daughters are in 8th grade and 10th grade right now. I think if you added up all of their friends and that care at all about politics, every single one hates Trump. Whether they're conservative Except or net neutrality. They all, they, they all came out against net neutrality yeah, today at your school. Definitely. They're all passing <laughs> those. I've been counseling them today. It's just, and and it doesn't matter if they come from conservative homes or not, and a lot of it is just, oh, there's this old guy, and he has really backward views, and I know they're younger, and they're not, you know, they're not, you know, getting their degrees in political science, at least not yet, but what is it like on campus? How many people there, I don't know if you can guesstimate a percentage or what, that are active, hey, Trump's doing great, I voted for him, I'll speak out about it, Um, is that pretty minuscule? So... I cannot tell you one person on campus that I know, and I'm a poli-sci major, I cannot tell you one person on campus I know that is a Trump supporter. So if that doesn't speak volumes, I don't know what will. I know after um, the election and a month ago, even in class, I was in a class of 55 students. We took a survey. Who in this room currently supports Trump? Not one person raised their hand. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
Now, I don't know if that's for fear of alienation, which I would say right. is extremely common um, to Trump supporters on college campuses, or if that's because of the actual fact that no one is a Trump supporter, but nonetheless, no one is speaking up if they are. Yeah, and, it, and it's, I, at the, so th- prior to and throughout the election and up until a couple months ago, I was the editor-in-chief of this new site at USC that was essentially a rival to our on-campus paper because I thought it was garbage. I was a columnist there, and I quit, and I started my own thing. And there was a while where they kept on smearing me as a Trump supporter, and throughout the election, I mean, I was at the RNC, and I was doing reporting and commentary, basically denouncing Trump and denouncing what he had done to the Republican Party. And they were calling me a Trump supporter because I was writing about him. They're like, they're like, oh, the fact that you aren't calling him like a genocidal bigot means that you're a Trump supporter. So, I mean, that's like, that's the level that it's at. It's that if you don't say that this person is literally Hitler, then you are supporting him. You love him. That's, that's, that's Buckley club conservatism right there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's, I mean, what's interesting about that. And this is kind of another kind of perspective that I don't have. And I don't think John has is, Something for like support for Trump and the Republican Party is just in the gutter for millennials. I think it's like something like 80 percent. And we talked about we had Kristen Soltis Anderson on here a few weeks ago to talk about that and talk about this millennial gap. That's, you know, it's eventually going to happen if, you know, they're, it looks like they're going to do two, one of two things. They're either going to just vote Democrat for the next 30 years or they're just not going to show up for elections, which I'm fine with. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, is that is that something that you guys is that something you guys see? Is that something you guys are you know you think in your heads and your hearts is something you have to work against, or is this something that you're going to kind of wait and see? Like once Trump is gone, we survey the kind of the wreckage of what he's done. Well, I think there's an issue where millennials don't feel represented, and at least you know potentially they can feel represented in the platform of the Republican Party, but they don't feel represented in terms of leadership and. The ones by the, the the people by the GOP that have been backed. And what would change that? So, like, what would I mean? And obviously, I'm not you're not going to speak for all of them, but so, just as a culture that you see, what changes that? Is it is it new leadership? Is it younger leadership? Is it cooler leadership? Is it is it you know conservatives who aren't from Breitbart yeah. and Milo Yiannopoulos coming well, on campus? Is it what 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 do you think changes that? Well, perhaps Tiana would have a a different perspective than I do, but I would say that. The Republican Party is not catering to millennials. They're not talking to them. They're they're talking to the the old establishment Republicans, honestly, in my perspective. And I think there is this need for these younger candidates with potentially even more more moderate views or just some some new change, not this kind of. Uh, Gosh, if only we had that. If exactly, only we like had this younger candidates. I don't know if Tiana has a different well, okay. response, but I, I, if only if only we had younger candidates, you know, like okay. four of them run this last presidential. No, election. Okay, no, okay. But maybe that's the issue you know, right okay. there. No one, no, no one who's young is is joining the Republican movement. Okay, no, okay, no. The issue is messaging and tone. So those are two separate things. Okay, so messaging. Actually, I'll start off with tone. Okay, so the tone of things. All right, so I know as an economics major why things like Obamacare and why things like fancy entitlement packages and why things like net neutrality in the long run do not work. And in the end, it is because they do not incentivize supply. And that's something I know because I've studied economics. And it's a really hard thing to go up to someone and say, here's why your free stuff actually isn't that good. But you need to explain in the long run why it's bad for them. You know, like a lot of like the moralizing like the Republican Party does it's in good faith. Like there's a reason why 
why Republicans talk about like personal responsibility. There's a reason why Republicans talk about economic responsibility and like social mores and stuff. But so long as these things are framed in this sort of judgmental tone and like, you're just lazy, you're just, you're just a hedonist. You're just self-centered. No one's ever going to join that party. Instead, it needs to be a little bit more inclusive. It needs to be, there is a stigma. I, I think that it needs to like, the reason why I became a conservative to begin with is because all my grandparents fled communism. So I grew up hearing the horrors of communism and realizing that freedom was such a gift and realizing that being a part of a movement that celebrated liberty was such a community to be a part of, you know? We need to regain that spirit. And that's the reason why someone like Marco Rubio is probably a little bit too, like, I'm going to, like, invest in family, like, plans rather than just, like, pure corporate ones. And I'm probably more of a corporatist than most people. But, but despite the minute elements of his planning, he was able to speak to a greater vision that was inclusive, that was anyone can be a part of these ideas, not just like these traditions. And so long as the Republican Party's tone remains somewhat judgmental and the messaging remains directed towards people that, towards so few people, they will never be able to gain back a cultural voice. And that's the problem is like, when someone like Milo Yiannopoulos entered the fray, the reason why he was so initially successful was because his messaging was for everyone. It was for outsiders. And his tone was fun. His tone was, no, it's not only straight guys in the Republican Party. And obviously Milo had major problems and he did need to be expunged from the central core of, of what it means to be conservative. But he was on to something. There is a reason why he worked for a while. And it's because of messaging and it's because of tone. Yeah, and I think that's our concern as well, uh, seeing the primary develop, because it seemed like the other candidates in the race kind of uh, dropped down to whatever issues Trump was pushing at the moment, whether it was a wall, you know, they tried to say, well, we'll we'll build an even bigger wall and we'll put machine guns on top. Uh, they seemed to just quickly fold and fall in line with whatever he was saying so they could get some kind of advantage um, but he was the master of that kind of rhetoric, and I don't know how someone like a Rubio or definitely a Rand Paul could try to employ that. It's not who they are. I think, yeah, I mean, part of that was, you know, one of the stats that I'd love to throw out in, you know, kind of my short career and all of this stuff is that, you know, Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney, as, as a ticket, didn't visit a single college campus in 2012. And uh, what Abraham what Abraham Connor basically saying is confirms one of these things that I've that's been one of my you know hobby horses for for years and years, which is um, when moderate GOP and pundits and fundits and you know people like that just basically ignore a younger culture and they ignore younger people coming up, then something is going to take that place. There's something is going to fill that void, whether it be on a campus or just be in the, in people who are on campus. Um, if their options are just either, you know, Bernie Sanders, communist nihilism over here, you're going to get people who are going to dissent. It's just natural. There are going to be people who are just going to say, I don't really want to go along with this. So what's for me. And then when they turn around and they see that nobody's standing there talking to them, they're going to fill the void with something. And, and it turns out what filled that void was kind of this alt-right kind of, um, um, I don't even know how to, I mean, how to say, it. you kind of have these figures who are more than happy to bring this battle, you know, into culture where it should have been happening a long time ago. But then they come obviously with motivations like, you know, Hey, it's, it's fun. We don't just, we can be gay. Yeah. And it's like, and we can be fun and yeah. And we can, you know, we can party. Yeah. 
and we like Nazis. Yo, no. Okay. <laughs> that's kind of like what it felt like. It's it's kind of felt like yeah, something, filled, you know, something just filled something filled that void. And that was always my warning is if you don't, you know, eventually if you don't talk to these people and if you don't reach out and if you don't attempt to listen to them, not even just talk to them. It's, it's also about listening to them. Um then something is going to fill that void and you might not like it. And I think that's what happened with alt-right and Trump and Breitbartism and things like that. When you see a lot of who these guys are, especially like at Charlottesville and a lot of these rallies, these free speech rallies in Berkeley, I mean, they're all kind of young, you know, kind of young, white, kind of jaded, you know, guys who are just kind of like, I found my home. At least these people are talking to us. And that's kind of how I look at that. And that's, like I said, that's always been one of my hobbies. I've been banging that drum for the last three or four years. I'm getting to the point where I'm too old to bang that drum anymore. Yeah, well, I would, I would agree with that. And I think there's the opinion out there that all millennials are just, you know, huge leftist liberals. But that's not the case. I, I would say if the message can be tailored to be socially a little more liberal, but fiscally conservative, that is where I would say most of millennials lie, except the problem is, as you said, to your point, there's no one really filling that message. And when you turn to the other side and you see kind of like this alt-rightness, that is what makes people turn Democrat. But there needs to be an appeal to someone who is socially liberal, but fiscally conservative and and believes that the government's hand shouldn't be in their pocket. And and the right has a platforming problem where we, I mean, major right-wing establishments are bad at choosing who to platform. I mean, okay, the fact is, if you think, like, all right, who's who's a major, like, like millennial conservative on represented in cable news? Like, you wind up with people like Tommy Lahren, who I think most college students listen to and are kind of like, no, I don't. This is not for me. This is not what I want to be. Kind of, How dare you insult I mean, it's Tommy Lahren? Towards them, <laughs> you know, it's just I don't know. I, I, that's that's not like a very good aspirational figure. And the fact is, we don't have like other general portions of the media. We don't like create TV shows and musicals and things that sort of advance our narrative and advance our agenda. So really, all we have is news of some capacity. So the fact that we're so not what, but yeah, so like, why don't we do that? That was always kind of my thing is um, project art. I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, let's be real. Like the Republican Party is not exactly one to encourage people to go out and try their hand. I would I would not go see a conservative musical just for the record. I'm not like sitting here saying there needs to be like musicals about um, <laughs> tax reform and everything but i'm just like that's always something i've wondered is but politics runs downstream of culture people need to be putting pen to paper with other narratives you know i mean it's like and i think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that you're only like most of the art majors and most of the theater majors are going to be liberal and i think that a lot of has to do with how conservatives be fiscal responsibility so when we get the opportunity to elevate better forms of like conservative art or not even conservative art but just Anything that isn't at this point belligerently left wing, we should, you know, like to try and create a culture war out of things that don't exist is difficult. Well, the problem is also you need to have leadership that's willing to evolve and willing to appeal to demographics that they haven't previously had to appeal to before. And I believe that there is an unwillingness and kind of a hard headedness amongst the party. Now, what do you think? um, I feel like an anthropologist. What do you strange college students think about this other issue? But. What are what are the feelings? Because I know Stephen and I have talked a lot about this. We don't really even see a use for parties anymore because they seem to have no power. Trump just what? steamrolled. I the, see. Oh, oh, you no, you meant political parties. Political parties. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
took me a Sorry. second. I, I literally was like, what are you talking about? I love parties. Yeah, I actually just got back from the clubs in Scottsdale. I'm still <laughs> getting glitter out of my beard here. But the question is, is how are like young Republican organizations going and things like that? Because it just seems like the parties in general are so far behind the times. And this goes for the Democrats as well, definitely. Bernie was considered the hip, cool one, and that's kind of a problem, you know, he's... Considering how old he is, yeah. Exactly, he's incredibly old, He his ideas come straight out of the 1920s, and he's like, oh, here's the fresh new voice of the Democratic Party, and then you had Hillary Clinton, who's been around as long as I've been paying attention to politics. So, what are the thoughts about parties? Are people as active in it? Because I, I just know from when I've worked with, I, I used to be at the Goldwater Institute, a state-based think tank out here, and we had have interns. None of them were involved in Republican anything. It was all Young Americans for Liberty, different libertarian party groups that they had set up. Um, there, there was all these different kinds of uh, groups out there, and they tended to be the most, uh, the strongest activists for libertarian and just increasing freedom however they can get it working with liberals like on criminal justice reform it it was kind of like a a trans party type of thing where they just okay we're tired of the parties we're just moving on to solutions well okay i think there's such a high level of distrust of parties at this point you know i mean like the fact that the rnc was effectively able to flip so much with its support for more i mean that was just i just keep on pointing back to the more example because it's so obvious but i mean this happens all the time I think for for me personally, in terms of I don't know if I would describe what I do as activism so much as it is just speaking and having a voice and writing and making people listen to me until I bore them. Um, That whole impulse has been you don't care about politics until you care about the narrative that's formed around it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think right now parties just feel like they're so on the fringe, on the fringes of like the actual national conversation. I mean, okay, for instance... How many people learned about Chip and what was happening with Chip through Jimmy Kimmel versus even from CNN or even from MSNBC? So many more people are just generally engaged in culture than they are in in the news, let alone what the explicit political party is doing. I mean, I know at like our own campus, USC College Republicans and College Democrats, I don't know what they do. I know that I know the school gives them like a lot of money. I would say the groups are obsolete. I mean, yeah, they're basically obsolete. I mean, all they're interested in is like having meetings amongst themselves. What Avery and I were interested in doing, we're bringing together two different sides. We're interested in bringing together our friends who identify as democratic socialists and our friends who identify as anarcho-capitalists and everything in between. And I mean, that's you, you, if you even want to have a party system, you have to get people engaged to begin with and not in a way that's as disillusioned as just I'm going to build a human wall to protest Trump, which was something that actually happened at the University of Southern California. We saw it. So it's 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 more just getting people to care as a whole in a way that is practical rather than just like everything I don't like is Hitler, which is really politics lie between at this point, complete apathy and calling everyone else a Nazi. And there's not much of an in between. So to even focus on like the party activism, you need to get them to care about the narrative. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. People are convinced through story through emotion a lot of times, and if you can't speak the same language, you know, uh, nobody's going to be convinced if you hand out Excel spreadsheets about the latest tax policy. It's just not how people are wired. Yeah. And, and it's also difficult because, I mean, usually, like, the old saying was, if you're young and you're Republican, you're mean, and if you're older you're Demo- and, you're, and you're Democrat, you're stupid. The problem is people are in such, like, 
economic and like emotional infancy well into the like their 30s that they never have to learn these like basic lessons about why should you care about keeping your own money why do republicans tend to care about social orders these are lessons that we're not learning because we i mean as mu- like as much as like the whole millennial thing is a stereotype as a broad population specter because of like lower income populations like the the really vocal like college attending class of students are so i mean like like the ones who basically set the tone for the media the ones who write our tv shows and write our film scripts and write our crappy huffington post blogs those are the ones who just i mean are still on like their parents health care and lament it being ending at 26 and not at 32 or a democrat because just because their parents are or a republican just because their parents are and haven't formed an opinion of their own yeah it's such emotional infancy yeah i definitely agree with that well thank you so much for being on we really appreciate you uh coming by and uh helping us uh geezers figure out what's going on with the with the hep kids yourself yeah i got like i have at least five good years left in me yeah (laughs) the problem is those are going to be spent like in the wasteland of trump that's kind of like you know that's that's what that's what i wake up with and cry about every day yeah you know what a time to be alive right all right, well, Avery and Tiana, thanks so much. You can listen to them, and we'll include a link in the show notes. Their podcast is called The Political Pregame, and uh, good luck this semester. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having us. Where, where's, where's, uh, where can we find you guys, social media, and also online, like websites, writing, et cetera, et cetera? So our website is thepoliticalpregame.com, and then our Twitters, we are using our personal Twitter accounts right now, so mine is at Avery Hogarth, and Tiana's is at Tiana the First. We have a Facebook page, The Political Pregame, and we are on SoundCloud, and we'll soon be moving to iTunes as well. And we will include links to all of that on our website. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Away Travel uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. Choose from a variety of colors and five sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large for extended stays, or the kids' carry-on. All suitcases are made from premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and very lightweight. The interior features a patent-pending compression system, helpful for all of you overpackers out there, four 360-degree spinner wheels that guarantee a smooth ride, TSA-approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent theft, removable washable laundry bag, which keeps dirty clothes separate from clean. Both sizes of the carry-on are able to charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, and anything else that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your phone, your iPhone five times. And there's a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for you for life. Also, a 100-day free trial. Live with it, vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund with no questions asked. There's free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states. And remember, away bags and accessories make for the perfect gift with their lifetime guarantee and 100-day trial. So there's a perfect size and color for everyone on your list this holiday season. Or you can just get them an away gift card if you can't make up your mind for them. And... 
I've told you before on this show, I've traveled with these away travel bags. I have the carry-on, and it's fantastic. Uh, really, my favorite feature is just being able to charge the iPhone so I'm not uh, crawling around grubby airport floors trying to find one of the three outlets in the entire terminal. So it's really just very easy to use, really nice, and it's the best piece of luggage that I've owned. And there's also a special offer to all of our listeners. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash conserve and use promo code conserve during checkout. One more time, that's awaytravel.com slash conserve and use the promo code conserve at checkout for $20 off any suitcase. Thanks so much to Away Travel for sponsoring the Conservatarians. Now we get to the um, big question of the week. And first, as Stephen had mentioned earlier, next week we're going to be going through our best albums of the year with special guest. And the week after that, we'll do the best movie of the year with a different special guest. So you have that to look forward to. But for this week, Stephen, what have you been listening to? Uh, I've been listening to an uh, artist called Vita Bergen, and um, the best way I could put them is just kind of big, cheery choruses, lots of kind of like bells. Like kind of for anyone who's familiar with like the polyphonic spree, that's kind of the easiest thing for them. Also, some flaming lips, um, just a g- good like just big noisy music, and you know, cheery and, and happy and stuff like that. So. Um. Yeah. Just, uh, just uh, like a good indie band. This band just kind of came across my radar when I was just compiling uh, playlists and playlists for the last couple of weeks. The one I couldn't, I my dog couldn't walk for three weeks, and then I couldn't walk for like four days. So um, that was that was a fun time. But yeah, Vita Bergen. Um, I'll throw a song on the playlist. Give them a shot. They're fun. Fantastic. I've been listening to. It kind of reminds me the way you describe them. Charlie Bliss is their name. They're an indie power pop band out of new york city uh their album is called guppy if you like weezer you'll love these guys they also being an ancient man myself uh female singer is very twee very high register and it reminds me a lot of all these uh, 90s uh bands like heavenly uh more they were a uk band that didn't make it big in the states but belly is one with tanya donnelly um so she kind of has these girly vocals but it's just really fun upbeat you know, it's not dragging you down with politics. It's not edgy post-punk. It's just fun, cool power pop. Uh, very good music as I am cleaning my house here. So uh, check both of those bands out. Both of them will be on our Spotify playlist. We include a link in the bottom of our show notes. Please subscribe to that. And that's the time we have for today. Um, Basically, we need you to review the podcast. We really want to get the message out. Uh, we actually debuted a new podcast, uh, I don't know, about two months ago on Ricochet, uh, The Remnant, which is by Jonah Goldberg. And he is blown by everybody on Ricochet with likes and stars and reviews. And uh, we need to start catching up. Folks. It's really ridiculous. I'm not it happy is. about it. It's, it's deeply offensive <laughs> is what it is. And he just talks policy. He doesn't even give a music pick. It's really disappointing. But um, that'll help us get new listeners, get the word out. And also, your luggage shouldn't cost more than your plane ticket. Away Travel's luggage is designed with the highest quality materials and under $300. For 20 bucks off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash conserve and use promo code conserve during checkout. I'm John Gabriel. On behalf of my co-host, Stephen Miller, and also for Avery Hogarth and Tiana Lowe, Thanks for listening to the Conservatarians podcast, and we'll see you next week with the best albums of 2017.
Ricochet. Join the conversation.